With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. The term cult following is bandied about a lot, but when it comes to stranger things, it's certainly one that applies. Fans simply love the Netflix show, what with this blend of mystery, horror, science fiction, the supernatural and childish innocence, not to mention lashings of 80s nostalgia. So it was a real joy to speak to series composers, Carl Dixon and Michael Stein, who've channeled the old school electronic spirit of their band Survive into three seasons worth of score, all released through Lakeshore and Invader Records. If you're unfamiliar with Survive, you have plenty of time to rectify that. But in the meantime, we'll begin with one of their tracks to give you a feel for how their previous work informs the soundscape for Stranger Things. This one's called Hourglass. Listen, thanks so much. It's so funny. We were I was just talking about you guys the other day um, with the wonderful Reg Weeks and Jeff Barrow from Invader Records, who oh man, they're two of the, the best people I think in the in the industry. They're such sweethearts and so passionate about what they do. Yeah, they're great. They talk really highly of you guys. Um I've been dying to speak to you two for, for so long since the first series of Stranger Things kind of hit these shores here in the UK, because I think that it's a really good example of if you take the sound away from that show, you know, the music, both in terms of the score and the, the other elements of, of the world of sound, it doesn't have the impact. It wouldn't have the impact that it has. It's such a synergy that affects that show emotionally, I think. So congratulations. Thank you. So I know you've probably told this story a gazillion times, but I love that the Duffer Brothers basically kind of just, well, they didn't steal your music, but they kind of, you know, generously <laughs> used it on the, I guess they're sort of selling trailer, really. Is that, is that, is that, would that be fair? Is that what happened? Yeah, that's exactly. It's called a, it's called a sizzle trailer. I guess yeah. that's what you use to pitch to different networks. And did you ever ask them why and what it was about, you know, your music and your band Survive that they resonated with and they connected and thought fitted with, the, with their idea of the show? What they told us is that they liked that it referenced 
you know, the era, but still sounded modern and didn't fully just go for the revivalist 80s thing. So we're still adding modern elements around the basis of, of something you may have heard in the 80s or 70s. I guess they wanted to borrow a lot from that style, but not how campy and cheesy the 80s could be. <laughs> yeah. And they, I guess they thought our music was a good fit in the, that way that it was, like what Kyle said, referencing, but not just uh, fully recreating something old. It had a modern take. Was it a massive change in your kind of creativity from stepping from writing music as a band, though, and then writing music for picture really was it is it a big difference was it a big shift in terms of i guess navigating how you would do that yeah it's it's quite a bit different i remember the first time we got some dailies which are like little pictures of edits that they get at the end of the day just like raw clips i just sat down and was like trying to score it the fact that it's just so linear and wildly like not it's so loose like it's not like you're on a grid or you're making something with a specific tempo that it can just be so so uh, it can even be so effective to do something so minimal. So it, it just felt very different to support a narrative than have to fully create it, uh, telling your own story with the music being the only material, I guess. Is it easier or is it a completely different thing that you can't really compare what it's like writing, you know, writing music as a collective, as a band, and then, and then writing score? One thing that's easier, sorry. No, go ahead. I was just going to, a short thing is that you know what the content of the music is going to be when you sit down to create, because you have to, once again, support the narrative of the scene at the time. You know what the goals are, at least like, you know, you sit down to write a a sweet and sentimental scene. You're not going to like bring out the, I don't know, maybe you could do electric like shreddy (laughs) guitars, but probably not. You know, you're going to, you have some direction in, in which we go. Whereas if you're just making music for yourself and you don't have a specific concept or type of song that you want to make and you're just kind of sitting around and hoping something happens then in that respect writing to picture is easier but also if you can't meet the goals of of the directors with the music that you think is doing that then that can be can be difficult and you just have to work through it though so it's just different 
actually making the music isn't really that different of a process i wouldn't say completing the music though because of the forced deadlines is easier <laughs> yeah. i don't know if it's easier but it's like easier to be like yeah this is done somebody else could <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah you know if, if the director says it's done <laughs> yeah. then yeah that's all you need to hear <laughs> well you guys are in a nice position because most of the time a lot of composers have this thing where they're sent picture or, or kind of an edit or a rough edit with temp music on and it's someone else's music but your music was the thing that was an inspiration and kind of really you know was was in their head sort of thing so that's a nice place to start really in terms of can you make music that sounds like someone else do you know what I mean which is a really tricky place sometimes for composers to be in yeah it definitely was a good starting point but we certainly get other people's music as temp <laughs> still definitely happens we have a good amount of music for them to choose from you know i think they'll try to use our music first but if they can't find something that's yeah doing what they're looking for then we'll get temp yeah sometimes they're just like go nuts and they'll or they'll be like we'll be watching spotting and they're like well they'll just do their thing yeah <laughs> so i guess they trust we know that we can just try it in our way we'll try it in our style because that's what they want well i think what's brilliant as well is that with every season there's a real different emotion and a really different kind of sound really to this score for every for every season you have that theme tune obviously and it's kind of it's so iconic now that theme for that show it's, it's amazing but within the show itself and within the episodes because the themes of the show are so different it feels like the themes of the score have really kind of sort of changed and moved and and aged and grown with the, those characters as well was that always going to be the case it's not something that necessarily came up in the beginning, but I just think out of, you know, the natural progression of the story, that that's just what happens, you know? And I think at least on a per season basis, the writers and directors, they know what they're focusing on that, yeah. that season. So like for the next season, we have a pretty good idea of the general or a lot of what the tone is going to be, but... You'll see stuff that's similar to what you've seen in all the, all the seasons, but new stuff. Yeah, I think it's just natural that that happens. Where did you start? You know, when they, when they said to you, do you want to do it? What was the starting point for you both? Uh, yes, I think was the first <laughs> word. <laughs> it, it wasn't quite as simple as that, but I'm pretty sure. Where do I sign? <laughs> right. Well, we were like, is this real? Is this a real offer or email? I mean, yeah, they were like, are you still making music? And do you have any interest in doing something like this? And we, were, we said, yes, definitely. Absolutely. Fortunately, Kyle and I already started making these like these little uh, library folders, basically. Mm. of just stuff that's it was really undeveloped stuff that was almost like soundscapes and various stuff that we thought was cinematic because we had thought we had talked about getting into uh, scoring stuff so we had both made these little side folders and we just that stuff seemed to fit the project so well that we just kind of dumped those folders on them that same night we're like yeah we really want to do this just so you know here's some stuff so it's like pretty immediate that we just sent them a bunch of ideas and did any of that end up on the show some of it yeah wow so mostly um from the very first stuff, i don't i don't know honestly i don't remember i think there might be a minimal use of that stuff but it also gave them a good direction of saying which pieces of all that library they didn't like yeah which helped um give us direction right off the bat yeah they never said they didn't like anything they just said these are all awesome but we think these are more in line with what we're going to do. 
So that was cool. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, we, we got direction from that first, just uh, throw stuff at the wall and then see what sticks and then yeah. get their feedback on what, what's working and then try to make more stuff like that or develop some of the ideas further. Yeah. Then they had us pitching for um, characters and stuff like that, like specific elements of the show that we wrote some themes and stuff like that. We didn't have the job at that point. You know, we did that for probably about six weeks. And then w- at which point did the theme tune, how did, how did you, how did you come to, to the theme tune? Talk about the kind of creation of that, because, you know, I think, I think theme tunes are so, I don't know. It's, for me, that that's something that will, will you know, you 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 hear it. You hear those even just like a couple of bars of it, and you instantly recognize it. It instantly kind of puts you in a frame of mind that it, visually it kind of throws things in front of your brain. It's so it's so effective. It's so good. It was really important that the theme was not an afterthought, and that it was something people would remember. Mm. We kind of would drop little um, mock-up themes here and there throughout the process, trying to find what it was going to be so that it wasn't like, okay, now you're done. Here's the image. Now score this, make a theme. Well, we didn't actually even know if we were going to get to do the theme, but we really didn't want them to pick just like a sync of some song. I can't remember what shows were on at the time, but a lot of people were just using like indie rock or something like that. Yeah. So we tried a couple things based on the music that was in the sizzle trailer. And that was the song Dirge by Survive. quite work for as much of what the direction was and then they heard something in the original demo pitches of like the library folder and they're like hey this part of this at two minutes we really like that and that was basically the baseline and the arpeggio that was within another composition mm-hmm. so when we were able to take that back and develop it further which took a little while but we had an idea and we all knew we all felt that that was it
How do you feel when you hear the theme tune now? I don't feel anything. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I feel dead. I feel numb. <laughs> I mean, the only time when it makes me feel something is when I'm in a public place and it just comes on and I'm like, oh, shit. Anxiety. Yeah, I'm like, oh, God. Does somebody know? Are they playing a joke on me? Are they, are, no. My mom was like, did you know you can get a ringtone? Like, just like the other week. She's like, my, my sister got the ringtone. I want to, can you help me figure? I was like, I don't, I don't actually know where you get the ringtone. No people have that. it, though. Your mom wants to have it as a ringtone. That's amazing. That's so good. But I mean, the reaction that it gets is just, and I was watching some videos as well of you guys, you know, kind of playing it live and all that kind of stuff. That's, it's huge. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the, yeah, that became a cultural phenomenon pretty quick. Yeah. Where we were, went from not telling anyone we were working on it to it being live on the air. And then just like, then it was like this iconic theme already. Yeah, like we didn't tell anyone we were working. I mean, maybe a couple people that that were like immediately around us, but we kind of just disappeared and did it. I mean, I was convinced that we were going to get fired right before the show came out and they were going to replace everything, you know, because you hear stories of that kind of stuff happening. Yeah. And so I was just like, don't jinx it. Don't tell anyone about any of it. If it comes out, great. If it doesn't, then, you know, you never said anything that wasn't true. But then kind of going forward and the idea that you've now been part of this sort of, you know, you, you're working on, are you working on the fourth season now then? Is that kind of what's the, you know, you a little you bit deep in that? Yeah. I wouldn't say deep in it, but we have done work for it. I mean, they're on, as far as I know, they're yeah. still on um, pause at the moment as most productions are. So <laughs> yeah. we have done some, some preliminary work for that trying to come up with some of the sounds. And when you were when you were kind of going from, you know, that kind of thing of being of the first season and, you know, kind of that anticipation going on, you know, and realizing that you are part of this thing now and moving on to season two and speaking to the Duffer Brothers about what that was going to involve for you with the music for the second season, because it feels like as well there's, you know, it's almost like a, not a complete change, but there's a, there's a, a shift in even kind of um, instrumentation and the use of different and more things and stuff as well. Was that was that conversations that came from you or was that kind of, you know, collaboration, collaborative kind of discussions and stuff? Kind of just how we explore the creative process. Mm -hmm. We see the footage and then like we'll typically create a lot of different moods for different pockets of the show, like the kids or season two brought a lot of horror um, thriller stuff.
started incorporating a lot of acoustic instruments kind of being thrashed and stuff like that. And that kind of developed into a style of action that we generated, which Mm -hmm. then almost became more prevalent in just throughout the series. think it's a pre-conceived thing like we don't sit around and then Mm -hmm. discuss exactly how we're going to do it it's a reaction thing emotionally i guess when we knew that we were going to have to do action we definitely wanted to try to figure out a way to do action that felt like something we would do on our own and not not just you know whatever is you know action music you know so trying (laughs) trying to figure out how how we were going to do that was was definitely a process And I don't think it was what we initially expected it to be. I think a lot of the stuff that we found that worked for a lot of the scenes, at least I feel like was a little bit slower than I would have anticipated. Like not as just, you know, relentless, like fast drums or anything. Some some of that, but I feel like more of the um, kind of brooding stuff with just like lots of weird noises and clangy percussion ended up working best over a lot of the scenes that are I guess they're they're not really action. It's kind of like the tension. There's action. There's action in there. Yeah, totally. as well to think that you're writing score for jump scares so about the new instruments there are definitely certain things that just are much more effective as a jump scare you know like <laughs> right. like actually hitting something in in yeah. a room that yeah. makes a bunch of noise way faster than like making a big modular patch that's you know sounds like all of these things and then strings going and all this stuff like at the end of the day if you can speed up the process of doing that thing by buying a piece of equipment that's going to make that easier it's totally worth it you know 
because you can spend like rises and, and jump scares and stuff. You could spend hours on just one of those and it's literally, you know, three, two seconds or whatever, but it needs to be big and it needs to be loud. So we definitely got a few things that helped with that <laughs> for, the, for the second season. a great video of you guys kind of doing a, a kind of tour of of some kind of I don't know where, where the studio was but you were kind of showing it, it was for Vanity Fair you were showing people sort of a, a, you know kind of rack of synths and stuff like that and there was one where you were talking about I think it was the sound of the demagogue and you were kind of there was a, like a sticker on it where you were like we had to put a sticker on and it was there for like two years so that we knew you know and it couldn't move it I just wanted to play with it and make other noises but I couldn't and and <laughs> stuff and I love I love all that geeky stuff that's just like all oh, these buttons and stuff it's amazing it's like bloody starship enterprise when you walked in there it was incredible it's like best playroom in the world ever <laughs> is that what it feel like definitely yeah <laughs> i spent a lot of time in my room yeah sometimes you got to get a new toy yeah getting new stuff is definitely inspiring you know like even after you've gotten all this great stuff and you're like, oh, man, still that more. sounds so good. <laughs> you can still get bored of it, you know, but but then you can use it and you're like, oh, it sounds so much better than now that I have that. Yeah. But getting some, especially things that you don't fully understand, that's yeah. because at the end of the day, most of these knobs, you know, they're just like multiples of the same thing. It's not like, yeah. you know, it's not like you need to know. I mean, there's a decent amount of stuff that you need to know to work some of these, but it's kind of just the same thing over and over again for most stuff. But then there are some instruments that work in a completely different way. And that's, that's really fun to kind of explore and not try not try to learn it just so that mm-hmm. you can get interesting accidents. If you find something that works really well for something, you might just want to leave that instrument set that way until, you know, the pressure's off or you're not having to go in there like and create a lot on a daily basis so that mm-hmm. you can, call on it like oh i need this i need to recall it again this thing doesn't save i'm just gonna leave this up um until i'm done it feels weird to do that but it's also really helpful because it (laughs) you know once you realize that oh this is kind of that same element from the temp or whatever and we've used it 10 times already in the show why wouldn't we use that you know it makes perfect sense Mm -hmm. you know don't try to you know reinvent the wheel every time if you have something that's making this sound and essentially creating that atmosphere and it's just sitting there waiting to do that, then you should, you should definitely do that <laughs> instead of. Yeah, yeah. totally. I it's love also that almost I... like, like the, the composer that has like all the guitars, he's probably not going to grab the Gibson or Epiphone to do, 
you know, that's going to, that has a specific kind of more bluesy kind of sound or something. Oh, see, almost they the, the, know which one they want and they're, mm-hmm. they, it's specific to them. It's like, it's like your pens or pencils if you're like an architect or a sketch. Michael, artist. are all those keyboards plugged in behind you? There are so, I mean, if you want to add to that, <clears> you're going to need a stepladder to kind of get up behind you. They're, they're so, all plugged in. Amazing. I had spent too much time trying to make <laughs> the studio perfected and like efficient and plugged in and no wires and all that, but it can always be improved. I spend way too much time doing that. New toys, new but toys. But yes, they the are best. plugged in. New toys, the best. Um, it was really great as well hearing about some of the films that um, have been inspiring, I guess, to you guys. And a couple that you mentioned in things I, I was um, just reading and watching was um, Big Trouble in Little China, John Carpenter, and, um, and The Keep, which is a film I've never seen. It's Michael Mann, right? Yeah, Michael Mann. And, and Tangerine Dream did the score for it, which sent me down a Tangerine Dream morning, which was amazing. <laughs> Just like had it on in the background all morning. It was lush. I, I really like it, but it's mainly because of the music. I mean, I think Michael Mann disowns that movie, I'm pretty sure. That's a fun movie. I like it as well. But the music's super great in that. Um, and they did release a version of it in, like, I want to say the 90s or the 2000s. But it's not the same recordings from whatever, 1980 or whenever they, that movie came out. I think it's only on VHS. 83 it came out, yeah. So it was 83? Yeah, well, all the, the actual music that's in the, the movie, they didn't, they only have what was recorded in, in the movie. And then they recreated it with newer instruments and stuff later once they found the MIDI or whatever they were using. And it just doesn't sound the same. So, yeah. At one point, we just recorded the VHS audio and listened to that instead. <laughs> that's actually true. <laughs> yeah. I remember doing that as a kid with a couple of things, actually. I think I've seen Big Trouble in Little China. More than any other movie, maybe next to Bloodsport. <laughs> I used to have those movies on like repeat in my whole childhood. I watched it a lot, but I don't, I don't know what movies I've seen more than like five times, but that's probably one of them. Is the music as important to you as, as the kind of story in that? You know, in terms of you were talking about the keep for you, it's, it's the music, but with Big Trouble that, you know, and, I, and, if, and with regards to John Carpenter as well and being a filmmaker who creating the music as well and how much of him is in all that, you know, across the entire entirety of the film and his productions, you know, and Escape New York as well is kind of one for me that I always kind of go back to. I think it's amazing. I think as a kid, I just identified with the vibe of the movie. Yeah. You know, it was like a fun movie. I liked it because it reminded me of Mortal Kombat straight <laughs> up. I mean, that's the, that was why I liked it. And it was, yeah, it's kind of fun. 
I mean, it's definitely like a fun movie. Yeah, yeah. But then you know, like Raiden comes out or whatever. I'm like, oh my god. I wasn't. I wasn't <laughs> listening to the music necessarily. I have no idea what the music sounds like in that movie. <laughs> right. No idea. Combat was one of my first CDs I ever bought, though. <laughs> it was? Mortal Kombat. Was it? Probably me, too. I mean... That and Ace of Base were my first two CDs. Ace of Base! Mortal Kombat was awesome. listening to their playlist that you made for Invader guys they're doing this great thing where they're getting you know loads of different people part of the Invader family to to make playlists and you've both made individual Spotify playlists. they're very different but they're brilliant like Carl there's a great um Bob Hoffner thing on there as well which is the the whole uh, new music for pedal steel guitars which really reminded me of the like Paris Texas Roy Cooder kind of score which I absolutely love
Um, and then Michael, yours is just like at one point is this Carly Simons in there, and then Depeche Mode, and then Strawberry Switch. Oh my god, I was like, I was lost. It was like, yeah, it was. It's a really lovely contrast. The two playlists were they fun to put together? Sure. I mean, I, I kind of just went through my phone and I looked up albums that had come out recently. I think a good third of that stuff has come out since quarantine started. Actually, towards the end is mostly like relatively new music. It's got a really nice vibe to it. It's kind of different for me not do. I have a lot a big record collection, so that usually when I make mi- mixes and things like that, it's from those. You know, but whenever they're like Spotify, I'm like, shit, Spotify. Okay, and all right, this is gonna take a little bit of work. So, <laughs> yeah. What about for you, Michael? I was going back to some recordings I had started through the years that I feel like that was kind of inspired by some of that music. And it was just nice to kind of go back to the roots of kind of what got me excited about starting to want to make music myself. So that was kind of where those songs come from. The mostly stuff I discovered a long time ago when I was like around 20. But I don't know. It's just stuff that I thought would feel I would want to put on uh, like if I was barbecuing or something, but without making a summer playlist, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I loved as well that you kind of cited the um, Annihilation and Ex Machina as well as kind of, kind of impressive soundtracks for you. Those are both amazing. I really recognize something different in the like, sonic texture of how they use electronics and just those scores in general. Devs. Devs is extraordinary, isn't it? So good, yeah. So good. is it about but i mean it's just <laughs> <laughs> i loved it so much yeah it's good i'm i'm glad that 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 gave me something to look forward to once i was stuck in my, i mean i guess i'm kind of always i'm not stuck in my house but i am in my house a lot this is pretty pretty normal except for the not being able to go anywhere thing has it been constructive though in, in terms of it's kind of forcing you to 
be creative? Have you been, you know, working away? I know that you're kind of at a certain point with season four of Strange Things, but other things, because you don't just work on that show. You know, there's other projects that you work on. Is the, you know, are you still a band? Are you still making music as a band? Is Survive still a thing? Are you, you know, it's been a couple of years since you released a record. It's 2018, was it? I don't know. We've actually gone back and done quite a bit of work on the album during this time. During the beginning of it, at We're least. Working on a new album for Survive. So right. to answer that question, yeah. It's close. We have done a few sessions like this where we, we can't really record real time necessarily, but we'll just everyone listens, gets like an idea and kind of takes away a task and comes back. But it's really close to being done. I hope, I hope it gets done soon. And as far as like staying busy and stuff, I don't know if it's really any different than other times maybe less productive honestly just because you know like there's no deadlines for anything right now everything's on pause i mean i've been working on stuff you know every now and then but i don't feel bad when i don't everything's on pause take that in and like (laughs) allow that to be the way it is right now because it's gonna go away and everyone's gonna be back on your ass hustle trying to get you to do stuff (laughs) like deadlines all the time deadlines yeah sure there are some times when can get a little bit uh, weird in the brain, you know, if you're not doing anything. So having activities is great, but just uh, lean into it. It's a weird vacation. <laughs> I've been like gardening and working on my house quite a bit, not getting out too far, but getting yeah. out Fresh of the air. studio, I guess. <laughs> and then if I have like a specific studio task, I'll do it. I, I like the idea as well, just quickly before we go of, of the, the idea that with, with all these seasons of, Stranger Things almost have a kind of, you know, that you talk about with the second season, it was, it was kind of more horror in there. How would you describe the third season? I almost think of the, it's like a montage, like in itself. It's got all of this stuff from all the other seasons and some new. It brings some horror back, though, like real horror, some freaky stuff, for sure, that goes beyond season two. It's kind of a weird one because when you look at it, it, when you look at the season and for a couple of cues, there's like, you know, it's this is the middle of the 80s, you know, full 80s, everything like, you know, that's mm-hmm. that's the aesthetic, at least.
and then we do that a little bit in the music but not really you know you can associate the season with that but i don't think that that's necessarily reflected in in the music that much i mean sometimes yes but and yeah like a lot of horror more comedy than we had done in the past and and actions like action comedy which is (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) so yeah it's just it's like everything just kind of on steroids a little i just had a flash of like when when you said action comedy who was what's the first film that flashes in front of your head lethal weapon for me true lies i was gonna say true lies but lethal weapon totally We both said true lies. That's weird. but this. I love the Lethal Weapon scores. That's the like blues guitar and sax and like atonal atmospheric stuff. I guess that that is a comedy, at least the relationship of Riggs and... Yeah. uh, I can't remember their names. I haven't (laughs) seen that movie in a very... Totally. I mean, and then when Joe Pesci comes in, then it's (laughs) full-blown action comedy for sure. I forgot that he is in that movie. He's so good at comedy. He comes in like number two, I think. And then he's like a part of the show. But Joe Pesci doing comedy (laughs) is just brilliant. I mean, Home Alone, it's just, he's just genius. Oh, yeah. It's Joe Pesci, man. He's like, (laughs) you know, he's having his head burnt off with his little cap hat on and stuff by the kid. Oh, it's brilliant. Anyway. That's action comedy, right? Home Alone? Yeah. Christmas action comedy. (laughs) (laughs) Creating whole new genres, Just like yeah. Throw an extra weird angle in there. <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger's in a Christmas action comedy, right? Well, Schwarzenegger is, is he? Which one's the Christmas one he's been in? Like something all the way home or something like that. Like Mary, like slit. I don't know. I mean, I'm thinking of Die Hard now. I'm, you know, when you're thinking of Christmas and action. Con Air. Con Air. Con Air is a good. It's not comedy, I don't think. There's probably a couple one-liners, but... <laughs> this is a good game. Yeah, this could be a good um, isolation game, you know, for your Zoom parties kind of thing, sort of multiple film genres quiz kind of thing. I love it. Jingle All the Way. That was Arnold That's a film? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's called family comedy, but I'm sure there's some action in there. It's got... Schwarzenegger has got, got to be. Sinbad and a Schwarzenegger in it. So I guess we don't know when we're going to get season four of Strange Things, do we? No idea. Nope. 
season four, I think score is going to be really exciting though. Stuff we're making is really, is really cool. It's some new, new stuff going on too. Well, I think that's what's so clever about the show is that, you know, kind of, we think we know the characters and we think we know the relationships and where they're going, but there's so many surprises that they, you know, the Duffer Brothers throw our way sort of thing. And, and everybody else that's involved in the show as well. And, and yourselves very much part of that as well. And I think that that's, such a clever thing um for a series that's you know four in it's like still the excitement's there and it feels so fresh every time it comes up because there's just so much more to tell i think about these worlds and these characters really so i'm excited for four yeah we'll see how old the kids are by the time that comes out (laughs) 52 (laughs) they're all in there it's like cocoon it could be cocoon stranger things meets cocoon that would be brilliant. Imagine. I wonder how far from full grown they are, like height wise, like when they'll be taller than their older siblings and stuff. Because I know those kids are going to get big. Like Finn looks tall, like right now, like an adult. Yeah. Looking at them from season one and seeing them now is weird. Like they couldn't fit on those bikes anymore. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> You're have to get those like seat extensions <laughs> on, the, on the bikes so that they can still ride them. <laughs> That's a problem, actually. I never thought about that. If you're going to have to go back and do shoots of stuff of how big the kids have got in the space of three months while they're in like lockdown. just like CGI them, Benjamin Button them down. Shorten their legs a bit. They'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, listen, thank you so much for your time. It's really great to chat to you. And, you know, I hope that when the, um, when the season comes out, if there's a, you know, if there's a bit of promo tour coming over, that you come over to the UK and we can we can maybe do one of these chats with an audience and stuff and, and really celebrate everything that you guys do musically, both in this and everything else. But I really appreciate your time. Awesome. Yeah. It's great to meet you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. This was fun. Thanks so much, guys. Take care. From the score to Stranger Things, that's not kids anymore, which seems an appropriate place to conclude my chat with Carl Dixon and Michael Stein, given where the conversation ended. Uh, my huge thanks to Carl and Michael for joining me from their respective corners of the US. All three volumes of the Stranger Things score are available via our good friends at Invader Records. And if you head to invader.co.uk, you'll be able to find the playlist Carl and Michael have put together. Speaking of Invader, you can hear my chat with Jeff Barrow and Reg Weeks from the label at edithbowman.com, which is also the place to catch up with all of our 194 previous episodes. Crikey. Um, Please follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. We are at Soundtracking UK. And whilst you're there, please subscribe to our YouTube channel to get the weekly show I'm putting together with well-known names from the worlds of music, film and TV. 
Make sure you join us next week for another episode of Soundtrack and diving into the world of film and music. I very much look forward to the pleasure of your company then. In the meantime, stay safe. Stay safe.